tailoring your resume. It doesn't mean, you know, some people say, I don't have time for that. I cannot like possibly tailor my resume for every application. It doesn't actually mean like tailor for every application, but you do need to consider the job. Like if you're applying to both, you know, customer success roles, recruiting roles and customer support roles, those are three different jobs that require different backgrounds. In this episode, we're talking to Bonnie Dilber, who's a recruiting leader at Zapier, the very cool automation company. And we talk about effective ways to find jobs. We talk about the benefits of networking and why it's one of the most important tools in your tool chest when looking for jobs. We talk about being qualified for the position and why you might not land a job even though you have all the qualifications. We also talk about job search myths. We talk about how to differentiate yourself. And we talk about how to sort of behave on social networks and how that might affect your job search. This episode is amazing. Bonnie gives a ton of really good tips. I really hope you enjoy it. Hey everyone, we're back for another episode on hiring behind the scenes where we really get into the nitty gritty of the hiring process and we talk to practitioners. Today we are with Bonnie Dilber. If you do not follow her on LinkedIn or her many, many other channels, you're totally missing out, but I like people to introduce themselves. So Bonnie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Cool, thanks so much for having me. I'm Bonnie, I am a recruiting manager at Zapier. So we are a really cool SaaS company you should check out. We help you automate everything and be a lot more efficient. And I also love to share my thoughts on recruiting and spaces like this podcast, as well as LinkedIn, TikTok. Uh, you can email me, love to talk shop. And so super excited to be able to hopefully share, share some advice and tips about what goes on in recruiting behind the scenes. Awesome. Thank you. And you just cleared up something for me. I will now call it Zapier. I always said Zapier, but some people say Zapier. I'm like, like now nah, there's Zap. I said it. Everyone says Zapier until or Zapier or Zapier until they start working here or until their first interview. And then you uh, you figure it out. Awesome. Well, good. Now I can sort of say I have it with authority. <laughs> All right. So much to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, you've posted a few things lately around sort of how to find jobs. And I feel like in this market, we're filming we're recording this in April of 2023. And especially in tech in which, you know, sort of the fields we both work in and have history in there's an increasing pressure and sense of like, how do I find jobs, right? It's everyone says, it's rough out there. It's like never before. I want to talk about finding jobs and the various ways you can do that. There's stats on networking. And, you know, let's talk about like the literalness that people take job search advice with. But what are you seeing as the most effective way to find opportunities? Yeah. So I think there's two pieces of advice I give people. The first one is networking. I mean, I just think networking is critical. I'm not sure what percentage of jobs are obtained by networking. There's all sorts of stats out there. But um, whether it's a direct referral to a role, whether it's hearing about a job through your network right when it's posted, as opposed to, you know, a few weeks later when you see it on a job board, that sort of thing, I do think that networking plays a role in people's ability to land a job. Sometimes it's even because you're in the interview process and then people at that company are advocating for you or you're able to talk to someone in that role and they give you advice that helps you be more successful. Just the networks that you have, I think, play a really critical role in both finding and landing those opportunities. 
So I think it's something that you can't ignore. I'll be honest that every single role I've had has come through my networks. And so most of them have been direct referrals for roles. And so I just, I know my own career trajectory as well as so many others, like that's critical. And the other piece of advice I give people is to look beyond the big names that you know. Mm-hmm. Everyone is looking for, if it's a big brand that you're familiar with, so are lots of other people. They are looking up jobs at that company and they're applying there. But if you start actually, and this is where, why I think our networks matter, because like I found Zapier, which I wasn't familiar with, because someone in my network started a job here. They posted about it on LinkedIn. I thought, hey, that's a cool person. I bet they work somewhere cool. Sounds like they're having a good time. Let me go check that company out and uncovered a company. And I'd imagine um, that because it was a less familiar name, potentially fewer applicants and you have an easier timeline in that job. So I always also suggest that people really get clear on kind of their priorities and find ways, whether it's looking for, you know, affinity-based job boards, you know, like Tech Ladies, Alpha, job boards like those, where you can kind of be a part of a community and see companies that are actively trying to recruit from within that community or using um, job boards that focus on remote roles, which may have a bunch of companies that you may be less familiar with, those sorts of things. I think that can help people hone in on opportunities they may not be aware of or that may not come to the top when they're on something like Indeed or LinkedIn. Let's talk about the word networking. I feel like it's got a bad rep. (laughs) Like, Like some people think it's icky. It's like, you know, I'm trying to talk to people with a clear intent and it feels disingenuous. So let's, I think let's broaden it to relationships, right? Because I think everything yeah. you said, you could like relationships matter and it's okay for a relationship to have an exchange of value, right? Yeah. Like, you know, my relationship with my wife is one of affection and nice things, occasionally arguing. <laughs> That's a relationship, an exchange of value. Yeah. If we weren't getting value from each other emotionally, we wouldn't be with each other. And I think it's okay for us to grow our careers, right? Because if, as a, someone who works at a company, if I bring in someone who's awesome, that actually reflects positively on me. That company is spending tens of thousands of dollars on recruiting. I help make that happen. That's actually great for me. So there is a benefit to the person that refers you in. But like tactically, you, you being on the receiving end of it because you're a recruiter uh, and you know a lot of other recruiters, like what's the, and you get, you know, probably resumes sent to you from coworkers who want to endorse somebody. Like what's the tactical best way to do that without sort of being cringy or feeling weird about it. Yeah. I love that you reframe that as it's about relationship building, because I think ideally that is like what it is. And most of the, in an ideal world, the people that you're asking for help want to help you because you've helped them along the way. And I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. wait until it's really late. Most people wait to really care about the networks that they have until they need a job. And that's just a huge misstep because then you're desperate and you're going to people and you're asking them straight up the first interaction you're having with someone is, hey, I'm looking for a job. Can you refer me to something? Or can you introduce me to someone? Or can you meet with me? And you're asking them in a very like one directional way. Now, a lot of people will still want to help, especially if you're a good fit for the roles that you're interested in. But that isn't you know necessarily like relationship building. And so I, I think in an ideal world, you're establishing those relationships along the way. And you're trying to actually be authentic and genuine and connect with people because you value their their perspectives and their thoughts. And, you know, sometime in the future, you may need help from them or they may need help from you. And but like now you have that relationship in place. And so I do think if you can approach it in that way where you're not asking people for something that helps. And so um, what I mean by that is like I always tell people before you contact someone, 
like get familiar with them. So on LinkedIn, like their posts, leave comments, share like things that you appreciate about what they have to say, where you're not asking anything of them. You're, you know, and you're kind of building them up. You're becoming someone they notice and think of as like someone who's thoughtful and smart and kind and makes them feel good. And now they have like good feelings about you. And then if you message them and say, hey, actually, you know, I've been following you for a while. I see a job at your company. I think it's a lot more likely that you're going to get a response because you've actually kind of put poured into that relationship a little bit, even if it hasn't been in that like one-on-one space. And so I encourage people to keep people you've worked with, like keep people abreast on what's going on in your life and your career. If there's people you've worked with in the past that you have really high opinions of, you know, message them every six months and say, hey, just wanted to share, like, here's what's going on, or I've been working on this cool thing. What's going on with you? That way you're, again, kind of maintaining those relationships with people from the past, where then if you do need to go to them at some point, they have an idea of what you've been up to. And it's not like, you know, they're hearing from you after four or five years because you've kind of put that effort into keeping in touch with them. I don't know. Those are a lot of ideas that I guess are a little bit more like long-term focus. Do you want me to focus a little bit more on like what people need right now? No, that's super helpful. And I I think it's important when it comes to the job search and growing your career that you do get out what you put in. I think that there's a lot of people who put in a lot and don't get anything out. And I do, we do have like systemic issues that it's not the same for everyone. And so I don't want to like pretend like it is. And I'm sort of like hard work gets it every time that no, it doesn't. But I think the inverse is true, where if you don't, it's going to be tricky. Yes, there's nepotism in the world and those things happen. But like, you know, the folks are grinding out there to try to make something happen. Rarely does it just sort of automatically happen. And so I think networking is one of those things where it is a give to get. Doesn't necessarily have to be transactional. But that's the, to your point exactly. Like if I'm just getting a random email from someone, I got one the other day, someone I've barely ever talked to. It's like, hey, I saw you're connected with this investor. Can you make an intro? I was like, first of all, I don't know them that well. But if this was like someone who I was talking to on the regular basis, I would probably put my neck out for them. Whatever, I'll risk the person not responding back to me. But that's like, really? Like I haven't talked to you in ages. You've like never even like done anything. You don't engage within me in social in any way. Like now you need something. It's like, eh, I'm a little less motivated. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, again, it is like, how are you establishing a true relationship instead of just asking people to do you favors without finding any way to, you know, add value or support them? And obviously, if you're in need, if like you're looking for a job right now, it's harder for you to find ways to, you know, support people or you can't like build a relationship where it doesn't exist. That's why I always say if you're watching this or listening to this and you have the opportunity to kind of focus on it now, do that before you need it. At the same time, if you do need to get a job now and you need to get in front of people, then I think finding some different ways to interact with them. I think having like your first outreach not be an ask, but rather have it be some sort of compliment. I mean, people like to talk about themselves and people like to hear nice things about themselves. So you can go to people and, you know, say, hey, I've noticed your thoughts on this. Really love this thing that you said. And I would love your perspective on this issue. They're probably more likely to respond. And then you chat about it. And then maybe two exchanges down the road, you say, hey, I just saw this like job at your company, by the way. Do you have any any thoughts? Do you know who the recruiter or hiring manager might be? Do you recommend working at your company? Again, you're not going in and saying, can you give me a referral? Can you get me in, in with this person? But you're, again, more asking their perspective, their opinion. And a lot of times I think that all makes someone more likely to want to help you when they don't feel like you have an ulterior motive in approaching them. Yeah. Another theme that, I, that I've talked about a bit is just this inc- 
I feel like incredible ability that we have as a species to kind of like detect and value effort. Yeah. And I feel like look, we're all for automation. Both of us work at companies that, that, you know, value automation. We're all for AI. But it's still incredibly obvious to tell, like to see when someone's just not putting in that little bit extra and it doesn't feel good to be on the receiving end. So I get these like LinkedIn requests. It's like LinkedIn said we'd be a great connection. I was like, I don't care what LinkedIn says. Have you even looked at my profile? Like, I'd almost rather you do nothing. Yeah. Than do the thing that is like blatantly fake. Yeah. Or like the copy paste. Like I get so many messages. I got one the other day, had a totally different company name. And it just said for the position at, you know, it didn't even say what position, the position at X company happened to be a company that a friend of mine works at. And I was like, I know exactly who you think you were messaging right now. And so I responded and said, you know, I'm not sure I don't work at, you know, X company. And then that person went back and edited the company in their post and said, sorry, I didn't change anything else. Again, like, I still have no idea what position you're talking about or, you know, any of that. And so this is all feeling, you know, and even in your response, you didn't take the time to say, you know what, like, I'm looking at a couple of different roles and that they looked great. And so do you and all there was no effort at like, again, connecting with me as a person. So I felt no motivation there to, you can't expect someone else to do more to help you in your career than you're willing to do for yourself. And I think a lot of times like messages come across that way where people are hoping like I will do work on their behalf, but they haven't taken the time to figure out like who I am, what I, you know, does your company have remote roles? I get that question. I work for a hundred percent remote company. If you looked at all, if you even checked what company I work at, you would have known that if you looked at her website, but you didn't. You're just sending this to every recruiter you see or you've seen my name pop up. And so you thought like, you know, and when I see that, like it actually does the, uh, has the opposite effect. I actively don't like to me, I'm already thinking you're not a good fit for my company because we expect people to take initiative. We expect people to use their resources to figure things out. And you haven't done any of that. And so, you know, why am I going to now bend over backwards to go look at your background, try to figure out what openings you'd be a fit for? Like, that's a lot of effort on my part for someone I don't even know. Yeah, every time I, I feel like I'm getting old enough that I can't reference Jerry Maguire as easily as I could before. But like, I always go back. I to get that the theme. reference. I'm old too. <laughs> like, help me help you. And I think that there's kind of two, to give people the benefit of the doubt, there's kind of two mindsets, we'll call it. There's like, look, I don't want to burden the person with the specificity of my request that feels pushy. So I'm going to keep it broad. And then there's the person who's like, I'm just going to do the bare minimum to try to get a response. So to the first people, you're actually making it harder on me by making it broad because now I need to do the work. I need to understand what kind of job you want. I got to ask you follow-up questions. I'm not just going to like blast my network and be like, hey, does anyone have a job that might be good for my friend who might want to do this, who is thinking about joining? I was like, that's not helpful. Super specific. And then for the others, then it's like super obvious. Like, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to like burden my network and do all this extra work. So that help me help you, I think is really, really important because the more clear instruction you can give me, actually the easier and faster it will be for me to help you. Exactly. Yeah. Like if someone reaches out and they have a really clear, like, here's why I'm reaching out. Here's my background. Like all of that, it makes it really easy. I don't have to do any extra work. Here's the opening at your company that I just applied to. Actually, we have, I'm excited about this. We just gave an offer to someone who had, I always tell people message recruiters, even if we don't respond, it is going to help you. So this person messaged me at some point. In my mind, I really thought I responded back. I They looked like a great candidate for the role they applied for. I flagged it for the recruiter. And that person actually just got an offer and, you know, super excited about that. And 
I went back to congratulate them on the offer and realized I'd never responded to their initial message, even though I totally took action on it. And so, but when they responded again, it made it so easy for me to very like read this thing and in five seconds realize they're a great fit and run and like tell my recruiter to check them out. And even though I didn't end up like remembering to tell them I was doing that, I did actually, you know, I like tried to advocate for them where I could, but it's all because they were, and this wasn't someone I knew or had ever interacted with. It was just that they approached me in a really effective way that made it very easy for me to support them. Like what were some of the like positive attributes of their communication without sort of revealing their function or anything, but like what, yeah, what were some of the things that they did that people could take as actionable advice if they're doing outreach? Yeah, I'll share like three things that I think, and I just said three without knowing. So maybe it'll be three, maybe <laughs> so it'll be more that. or less. <laughs> three that are going to be easy. I'll go for three. And I'm going to share one thing that's going to be really hard to do, but I, it's like the most important. So the easy things are, I think, um, have just like a well-written but succinct communication where you're very clear, here's the role I'm interested in. Here's my background that makes me a good fit for it. And just, you know, be just really clear about why you're the right person for that fit, for that role to make it really easy on the person. Again, I didn't have to go look at their profile. I didn't have to do any research and um, they didn't ask me to meet with them, which Mm. it's really, I don't have time to meet with people, but all they asked is like, you know, do I have any advice or is there anything more that we need for their application? It was something like that, like something very easy for me to answer, which again, I forgot to answer, but would have been. So, I mean, those things I think are really easy. And then just having some sort of that, per- making some sort of personal connection to the person. I'm pretty sure that they said something like, I just saw this thing you wrote and it inspired me to apply to Zapier. Something like that, that makes you feel like, wow, I'm having an impact. Like I'm helping people, but something like that, people... You know, when you make someone feel good, when you flatter someone, it's generally really effective in most areas of your life. So be genuine about it. But I think that's like one of the most important things to do. The thing that's really hard and is probably what's like hard for, I was telling David earlier that I tend to just make up statistics. I'm just making up a statistic right now, but really <laughs> hard, but it's true. And probably like 90% of outreach is you have to be actually qualified for the roles that you're interested in. Yeah. And the vast majority of people reach out about roles that they're not qualified for. And that that's hard. But the reality is that like companies want to hire people who can do the work with as minimal like preparation and coaching as possible. And they're going to hire the best talent they can find for, you know, within their budget. Now, if you are going up a step in your role, maybe you're a team lead wanting to move into a manager role and manage a larger team, but you've done that function of work. Like you're so qualified. I don't mean you have to be like overqualified for the role or have done the role, but you need to be in the ballpark. Often, you know, I have people, I care from a lot of educators because I am a former teacher myself. I have teachers contact me about a director level role over a function. I mean, there's just nothing I can do for you. I will never recommend a classroom teacher for a role leading a department that they've never even worked in. Like that that's just not realistic. And believe me, I know the transferable skills we have as teachers because I was one. It's the hardest job in the world, but it doesn't make you equipped to lead a 20-person team. And that that's just the truth. And so most people that reach out are not like qualified for the roles that they're reaching out about. And that's, I think, what makes it really hard. It's a key one. I mean, so I'm, I do a lot of our recruiting. We're a small company. We don't have a recruiting function. And I'm a little bit at a loss because... I mean, I don't know if I'm going to start to like triple the size of the font of the requirements section. Like we're hiring for an engineer right now and I'm helping our CTO screen and like 
artists like Ruby on Rails. It's like that. That's if, if like if if we don't have any inkling that you know this programming language and this framework, we're not going to move you forward. And I mean, look, I'm all for the shoot your shot, but frankly, it frustrates me that like yeah. resumes come in and there's no mention of it mm-hmm. anywhere. And so then the kind of like the conversation bifurcates again. I, I sort of like these things. That's like people who actually have the ability and didn't put it on their resume. And I don't think it's a fair expectation as a job seeker that companies are going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And again, if nobody has Ruby on their resume, maybe you'll call a few people up and check. <laughs> right. But, you know, if they're perfect, otherwise, you might just message them and say, did you just forget to add Ruby? Um, but the reality is you probably have some people in your pool that did take the time to do that. And so why are you going to go and like beat down the doors of people who didn't if you've got 10 people who did? And I think people miss that. I think you're, you're bringing up a really good point. I see a lot of sort of angst around, I was qualified and maybe you were. Yeah. And maybe you got through and you didn't get the job at the end. But it's really not at that point, like after you get an interview, it kind of becomes less about the relationship between you and the JD and now the relationship between you and the other people that applied. And so, yes, you might have done great. You might have really connected with the recruiter. You might have connected with the hiring manager, but that other person just connected a teensy bit more. It's not about what you did wrong. It's because someone else just had more. It's not even better. They just had more. I mean, that is, yeah, so hard. Or they applied a little bit ahead of you. And so they were further down the process and the team didn't want to lose them. So they got the offer. Um, There's so many things that don't have to do with the individual candidate and are more about, you know, the circumstance. If you make it halfway through an interview process, you're probably a really good candidate. You probably could have gotten that job. Like recruiter screen, we do sort of, we we have a span of people. We're kind of testing out role profiles, things like that. But if you get past the hiring manager, you know, interview, you're a really good candidate and you probably could do that job and the company thinks so. And that's why they're bringing you into those later stage interviews. And then it does come down to maybe who was like 5% better who had used the exact product and tools that they used versus like needed a learning or was going to have a learning curve, who, you know, had just presented one one skill set a little bit better than you or was a little faster in the process, got everything submitted more quickly. I mean, who knows? Just like such minor things that I, it's hard not to take those reductions personally. But I do think if you get past like two interviews into a process, consider yourself like an exceptional candidate and it just kind of like went in someone else's direction. You mentioned something that I, I don't think we talk about enough, uh, and I'd love to get your take on it from the, again, from the recruiting side, is speed to application, right? Like a job goes live. Like, let, let's talk about that. Because again, it's not yeah. personal, but like time is expensive. Right. And like sometimes when the train leaves the station, you can't jump on later. And if a company is deep in the hiring process, you might, they might even like you better, who's like the front runner, but it. I mean, that they would have to really like you a lot, but it's kind of unrealistic to now like derail a process and have a candidate who's very far, like, okay, hold on. We got to wait three three weeks for this person to go through the process. So can you talk a little bit about kind of the, the timing and the importance of potentially of like speed to application? Yeah. And especially if you're applying for more kind of early career to mid-career roles, where roles that a company hires, you know, a reasonable quantity of, Those in particular, because they know the profile, they're not using the early application process to figure out what they want. They know what they want. They've got a bunch of people in these roles. 
And so then I really do think it's about who gets there first. A story, I've shared this one before, but I was hiring a recruiter for my team about a year ago and the post of the job and put a post on LinkedIn that got more, more views than I would have thought it would have. And we had a thousand applications within the first day of posting this role. So we took it down right away. I mean, it took like a week for multiple team members to get in there and try to get through all of these. But, you know, the reality is that like, unless you applied in the first few hours, there was just not a chance. We actually did like look at every single interview, but literally like if someone had just had seen it and said, I'm going to go in and apply tomorrow, tomorrow's too late. We'd already taken the role down. And so I do think that with some of those roles that are where there's a lot of like where companies know what they want, where, you know, pretty straightforward, you just kind of have to be first, first in and you may not even have a chance to apply or some companies will leave a roll up until they get to the finish line. But yeah, they're if they're talking to people later in the process, that might just be kind of backups if they lose people further down. Unless, again, occasionally an exceptional person will come in and they'll rush you to the finish line, certainly have experienced that. But a lot of times they know exactly kind of what they're looking for. For more senior roles, I've seen more kind of because a lot of times the early applicants are also, they're trying to kind of figure out, is this the right profile? So they're going to talk to lots and lots of people and try to figure out what they're looking for. A lot of times the company is also through those conversations, rethinking what they're looking for as they start hearing salary expectations. They might realize, gosh, like, we're off base here, or we need to relevel this role because we were thinking a director was doing these things, but all of these people are senior directors. And so we need, you know, things like that. And so a company is sort of in that more figuring things out in the first few weeks, I think. And so with more senior roles, I think you have a little bit more of a window and companies are generally also willing to sort of pause candidates throughout that process, that sort of thing. Um, versus I found with the earlier career roles, you, you tend to just want to like knock them out, close them in a month and that sort of thing. And so there's there's less of a window to get in. Yeah, I totally agree. I, that's exactly what I've seen. And, and when I think about our process, you know, some roles we post get a lot of applicants. Some I have some active right now because I'm not paying to promote them and they're not. And yeah, so once some, you know, especially once we've had a few more people like start to go into the interview process, it's interesting, like how our criteria to derail the process just gets higher. Yeah. And that's not to mean like you weren't great at the beginning, but it, it's more friction. The more time it goes and, the, you know, I don't like there's no absolutes in the job search, but the further it goes, the more proportionately difficult it gets for the company to call you in. Yeah, absolutely. Like if they have finalists, then unless you are literally like their dream candidate on paper, you were like the model they used and you turned them down when they reached out to you a month ago and then you circled back, you know, maybe they'll say, okay, let's like hold, you know, slow things down. And then also in those cases, you have to be willing to move quickly. I have had off like hires through kind of a process where someone jumps, jumps in late, but literally like, I remember, I mean, that person turned around like a project in 24 hours. We scheduled all their interviews in a single day. So we hustled on their behalf, but they had to do that too. And I've also seen some candidates sort of enter, but then take a few days to respond to communication and, you know, schedule things two, three weeks out. And even that I've seen candidates just like lose opportunities because they're not operating with urgency and kind of miss the window to get in because they're just not like moving at the pace that the company needs to. Yeah. When uh, when I worked at WeWork, our general counsel had a saying, uh, she would say time kills deals. Yeah. And it's true. It's true. I want to be careful because I I also feel like there's a, 
there is a imbalance in the power dynamic of the candidate and the company. I get it. But at the end of the day, like this is a market. I'm not sort of spousing my capital, you know, deep capitalist beliefs here. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, it's the reality, whether we like it or not. It, it, it's just the reality of the system we're in. So we have to play the game we're in because we're not going to it's not going to change. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, companies, if they have a role open, I just watched a TikTok today on like ghost roles. And, you know, like, I do think all these things that companies are accused of are in some instances true. And there are bad actors in every system. I've also just worked with enough companies to know that like very few are actually making it a point. That I've never seen. Yeah, I've literally never seen other than like we have some that we publicize as these are resume collections. If you want to keep in touch with us, like it says that, you know, but we've never posted a role that we have no intention of hiring just to see, just to collect. And it costs money to like post, you know, maybe not on your ATS. And it takes a lot of effort to. Yeah, exactly. It just takes a lot of effort. Yeah. I think people don't realize the amount of energy it takes to go back through those resumes. Often it's literally more efficient to post a job than to go sort through a bunch of resumes, figure out which ones are good contact them to see if they're currently looking. I mean, that is much more challenging than just posting a job and seeing who comes. So I think that a lot of that stuff is overblown as well. That's my sense experientially, because that, that's the tricky thing about like a lot of the stats and metrics in the job search. Yeah. And so another another topic I wanted to, to talk about is kind of like the intention of a lot of this advice. I think folks get really hung up on like disproving a decimal place on a stat. And if, if you can take a step back, if you're reading this advice and kind of like look at the intentionality of it, forest through the trees, most of the time the intention is good. Let's not get into like a battle of statistics. And I feel like a lot of people miss out on good advice because they're being too literal about it. Yeah, I think that's like such a good point. And um, I literally experienced this today, actually, uh, where I threw a stat out. And honestly, I did do a quick Google search, you know, for what percent of jobs are obtained through networking. And I found something that said 70 to 85%. So I threw like 70% in a LinkedIn post. And the point of the post was not that 70% of jobs were obtained through networking. It was that here's some skills that you need in networking. And here's like a place you can go learn some free networking tips. But someone got into like a little debate of like, the statistic is wrong. I bet you found it here. That's not like, you know, it's a misinterpretation. It's this, that, and the other. And, you know, Something like that. And I was like, I do totally understand that. But that aside, like the strategy is the right one. You need to network as part of your recruiting. If all you're doing is putting out cold applications, you're going to have a much longer search than if some of your applications are warm to companies or recruiters, like people you've interacted with who will recognize your name. So I do think sometimes we get kind of like caught up. I think another one, which you and I have chatted about is like the tailoring your resume. It doesn't mean, you know, some people say, I don't have time for that. I, cannot like possibly tailor my resume for every application. It doesn't actually mean like tailor for every application, but you do need to consider the job. Like if you're applying to both, you know, customer success roles, recruiting roles and customer support roles, those are three different jobs that require different backgrounds. So if your resume is identical for all three of them, I don't think a recruiter would look at the same resume and think it was like a good fit. So how can you adjust like the headlines of your resume so that it looks like a stronger fit for each type of role? or each industry, like I, if I was applying to jobs in education, you can bet my teaching experience is on my resume, but it is not on my resume for recruiting and tech because it's irrelevant. Nobody cares that I was a teacher. They don't care. They do. I mean, I'm sure people care, but it's not the most important thing 
Yeah. Well, I'm glad you talk about that because it's, it's a tricky thing with that advice in particular. I, I'll never forget. I saw this, this kind of one comment on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn and it, it said like, well, it's not doing my career history justice. Yeah. And it's like, I understand. And I feel that you feel proud of your work history and that you worked really hard to do those things. And they are accomplishments that you're proud of. That's amazing. No one's taking that away from you. But <laughs> the fact that you have a culinary degree and it was hard and you went through years of like intense scrutiny to be able to do that. And now you're applying to be a social media manager. You know, unless the company is in the culinary space, you got to do the work and show me what parts of you are relevant. And so I've kind of distilled it down to like, show the company the 10% of you that's 100% relevant to them. And it goes back to like doing the work. It's like, well, I just want to show you all of me and you're going to pick out the stuff you care about. It's like, nobody does that. Nobody does that. You have seven seconds, I think, as I've seen. That is like a study I've seen that said that recruiters spend on average seven seconds looking at a resume. So, you know, and that, just to decide if they want to look further. But if in that seven seconds, the right stuff doesn't jump in their face, they're not going to take the time to read everything. Um, so, yeah. And I also, one little just tidbit I would share with people because I felt that with like my education background because it's such a part of like my identity and my values. So I do have one line on kind of the bottom of my experience that lists like the years and just says like various roles in education and has like a note of, um, and I kind of name dropped the organization. Like I taught through a program called Teach for America. So I mentioned that, you know, Teach for America core member and, you know, teacher at school districts and things like that. So I have like one little line at the bottom. That way I feel like it's there, it's represented but no one needs bullet points about what I accomplished. No one cares about my kids' test scores. Whereas if I were in an education environment, that would absolutely matter. And so, yeah. And if anyone asks me about it in an interview, I will certainly talk to them about my work as an educator. But. Oh, for sure. I mean, I talk about like leaving crumbs or bait in places to see if people nibble and then I can deep, you know, dig into it. You know, another example where I think like the intentionality is missed is like the one page resume, right? And it's not, I don't care. Right. Cause you see people take that completely wrong. They have like zero margin. Like I have to make everything one page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Font that I need a microscope for. And it's like, you missed the point. The point is not that it literally fits on one page. You're like, you're not getting an award for that. It's, you know, and cause you know, and these things require judgment. So then judgment gets fuzzy and it's interpreted, but it's like, can you curate a version of yourself that describes your achievements concisely that make it clear on why I should hire you? Right. Because it's beyond just like the, the achievements that like, can you communicate concisely? If your resume is three pages, I actually don't care that it's three pages. I'm just like, wow, you cannot curate information. You cannot prioritize. So you're just going to throw it all at me and make me do the work. And it's probably going to feel that way to work with you. So I can't not even if you're not a writer, this is just like a basic professional ability to be able to prioritize information and what you want to put forward and that you can take things off. You're comfortable saying like, this isn't relevant, I'm gonna take it off. And so it's more about that than the sort of binary pass fail that you make it one page. Yeah, and I think um, it's funny, I did a I did this little like TikTok video on this just yesterday. I think people sometimes forgetting that every interaction you have in the recruiting process is sending signals one way or another about oh, you and what you would be like to work with. 
And that starts with the very first message. So, I mean, that's where like when I think about remote work, I do think you have to be able to communicate in writing really well because a lot is happening in writing. You have to be able to use resources because you can't turn to the person across, like next to you and say, hey, where do I find this? And by the time someone in, you know, the other three hours away sees it, it might be the next day and you're delayed. So you got to be able to figure out how to do stuff. So a lot of times when people are reaching out to me with a question like, you know, do you have remote roles? Do you have any openings for my background? Things like that. It also actually really works to their disadvantage because even if I was willing to take the time to do that, what they've told me now is that they're not able to use resources. They're not able to research on the internet. They're not able to, you know, find a basic website. Like it's sending all those signals, which actually means they're probably not a good fit for my work environment. And I think sometimes like people forget about that, that like your resume will send a message about your communication, your attention to detail, you know, just like what you value. If your resume has no outcomes, no evidence of achieving goals, then the message you're sending me is you're not outcome oriented. You're not goal oriented. So if my company values those things, now I'm seeing that you don't have that. And again, people are hoping, well, I could explain it in an interview. I would explain it if you just asked me. And Maybe we will get there if I don't have enough applicants, but nine times out of 10, we've got hundreds of applicants. And so the ones who did take the time to do that and communicated in alignment with what we're looking for are the ones that are going to, that we're going to pay attention to. We at Zapier, we have a value called build the robot, which is really about, I think it can sometimes be off-putting to people, but it's more about like, you know, use like processes and automation, like where you can. So you focus on what you, what humans do best. So knowing that, like, I encourage people to show a way that you've done that when you're, you know, on your resume or on our application questions, tell us how you've improved a process or made it more efficient or, you know, because that's something that we value and that's going to really speak highly for someone. And so I think taking the time to like really understand, like, what are companies looking for? What do they expect of the people who work there? And if you can show evidence of that in your background and in your resume, like every interaction, show that. And that's going to, you know, go a lot further. When people contact me and talk about how they use Zapier, earn some automatic points because, hey, if you use our product, you can sell it better. You can talk, you can recruit for us better, better than me as, you know, as I stumble through explaining technical things. Um, those are all advantages for you. So like, I think that's where if people take the time to like really think about how to sell themselves and how to like connect with what a company does um, and what successful employees at that company do. To tie these kind of like two conversations we've been having together, it's like every interaction counts and it affects your relationship. It's interesting, like now as we're, as Teal's getting a little bit bigger and we're starting to have more positions, we see folks that have kind of had gnarly interactions with us through customer support now applying for positions. Because you won them over with good support. Yeah, it's like, I feel great that like they were angry and now that, you know. And but you saw, yeah, but you also saw what they're like. But it's kind of like, oh yeah, that's how you communicate. And I'm not going to forget that. Yeah. You know, like we all get angry or we all make mistakes. And the last thing, you know, because I feel like I, I get the pressure. I, it's, it's hard. I try to be compassionate, but also on both sides because I'm hiring and I've worked with folks that are trying to land jobs all the time. But I get understanding that it is this market like really no one knows no one owes anybody anything and at the end of the day it's a selfish system much as like we want to be altruistic every decision most make that's a very sort of <laughs> strong yet weak statement um it affects them like me as the hiring manager it's not like look you may be great i like you but it's like now this is going to affect other people at the company the company's success if this is a bad hire, this looks bad on me. If you start like being rude to everybody else at the company, 
It's like, wow, I can't believe Dave hired that person. What kind of judgment does Dave have? There's many, many layers to the hiring process. And I think that as a candidate, I get that it can feel overwhelming and feel singled out and to feel like the victim in this really lopsided process. But it's very multidimensional. And the person making the decision, I wish, could be like super simple. But it's like, no, you know what? They didn't do this. They didn't, someone else did. And so, I mean, I just think the point you make of like all these like micro interactions in the process are so important. And I understand it feels overwhelming to be like, oh, now I have to do all these things. It's like, you don't have to do anything, but I promise you someone else is. Yeah, exactly. That's where we have application questions at Zapier. And I've heard that as well. Like I've seen people who just write C resume for every question. And it was actually like your chance to differentiate yourself, but instead you didn't. And so if, even if you were great on paper, you're just not going to be be the strongest candidate. I think this is also why I tell people like be thoughtful about how you talk about things, issues on LinkedIn in particular, because if you if you go on there and you throw a company under the bus because you didn't like that they rejected you or because you never heard back on your application, just know that one, that company is not going to like come back and apologize and give you a second chance. Like <laughs> right. they might apologize, but they're, it's not going to help you in the process with them. But also it's going to signal to every other company, oh, wow, if we mess something up, we're going to get publicly blasted. So we probably don't want to like go into the process with this person. And so I just think sometimes like taking some time to really think about like, what will all of these actions I'm taking say about me? And if you're comfortable, because some people are like, I want to work in an environment where we call out stuff that we don't like, and that's not okay. And that's great. Like then do that, but know that companies without that culture are not going to be interested in you. And so I think just, again, kind of thinking about how everything we put out, to, out into the world send signals about our alignment with different roles, opportunities, company culture, things like that. And it's, it's a very human thing at the end of the day. It's not about like an oppressive system, right? It's about human identity management. Yeah. It was interesting to see a lot of the celebration of the new law that makes sort of non-disparage agreements oh, yeah. legal. And I'm like, that law was kind of protecting people against bad behavior. And the truth is like, sure, like if a company does bad, I, I love it that we can all hold them accountable, but be prepared for the consequences of those actions. It's great that it's not illegal and they can take it out of their NDA. The truth is it was like very, there was a really a tough thing to enforce. There was no like, yeah, no teeth to it anyway. So. Right, it's like, wait, you disparaged me. So now I'm gonna look even worse by coming after you. You know, and so it just became standard. The, I wish people could really see how these clauses get put into agreements. Like lawyers just put them there and the company and like the leadership doesn't even realize it, you know? <laughs> and it just happens, but everyone thinks there's some kind of like sinister plan. Sometimes there is. But that's an example of, like, it'd be great if you could sort of air the dirty laundry and nothing could happen. But the truth is, again, I'm not going to be that person. It has nothing to do with corporate policy. Just the off chance that I'm the person that hires you. I make a mistake and you're going to put me on blast. And you're not going to give me the benefit of doubt. You're not going to have a conversation. And you just think you have this like platform to put me on blast. I'm just not sure that's a risk I'm willing to take in the livelihood for my family that you might do that. Yeah. And again, I think a lot of it is how, because I definitely don't want people to think like you're not allowed to call out poor behavior. But I think sometimes it's like the way it's done, the way it's communicated. So yeah, I think sometimes it's just thinking about like the process. I mean, if you are like mistreated and abused in your workplace, 
then of course, like you should address that. You should take legal action. Um, you should feel like you can safely share like that story of what happened. But I think a lot of times what ends up happening is just like people are venting about, you know, pretty normal things or there were two sides to the story and they're, you know, they were equally to flame and they're, yeah, I, I just think that it sometimes like the way it comes across feels like it ends up pr- reflecting worse on the person sharing the story than on the person or the company that they're talking about. Yeah, and, and I so, think the you bring up a good point about like the conflation of the how and the what. Sometimes the how you'd said it completely undermines what you said. Exactly. Like your point is right, but like the way that you go about it ends up like working against you. I think that's key. And we live in a very like knee jerky society right now, at least in the US, that's like for you, where it's like everything's very binary, yes or no. Everything's very argumentative. Everything's very polarized. We're kind of like either looking to disprove or vehemently agree. And there's very little room for nuance these days. So I guess that, I think that's a better way to say it. It's like really, if you're going to do it, be mindful of how you do it. Don't take away from your message and don't feel like muzzled, but, you know, be mindful of how you do it. Exactly. I think that's where, you know, protect the identities of people who maybe didn't do anything wrong. Um, Consider, yeah, just be thoughtful or be ready for potential consequences that can come, which is that uh, that you feel risky to people. Careers are complicated. This is like one of the tricky things about careers. There are these like taboos. They're kind of there for a reason. There's a lot of sort of difficult information. And at the end of the day, everyone wants very direct, concrete advice, but it's inherently a human like series of problems. And so there are no binary responses. Everything is interpretive. Everything is based on what a human would say on the other end. Um, and so like using good judgment and intentionality. Yeah, but, totally agree. And it was <laughs> awesome. You put out a ton of great content on, I feel like you are quite prolific and like any, and I love how much of an innovator you are. Like any new channel comes out, you give it a try. So we'll make sure to link to it in the show notes, but I want to shout out how, how can folks follow along with all the cool things you're doing? Yeah, I think right now the two platforms I'm active on are LinkedIn primarily and then TikTok, which I try to try to stay consistent with. Um, so maybe we'll see if I add on any others. So in the future. And you got a newsletter, right? The newsletter is newish. I have a newsletter. I forgot. I do have a newsletter. Yes, I do have a newsletter that uh, I'm I'm still evolving. So if you have ideas for it, always open to those. And really appreciate Teal, who has sponsored several issues of it. So yeah, I'm glad I get to get to work with you guys. Awesome. We love the content you put out. We love how much you help job seekers. We love the causes you fight for and argue for. So please keep up the amazing work. And thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode with Bonnie Dilber. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you liked the episode, please like, share, and comment wherever you're listening or watching this show. It goes a long way in amplifying these voices and really helping us sort of debunk a lot of these job searching myths and showing folks what really happens behind the scenes 
in the hiring process. If there's things you'd like to see or like to have us talk about in a future episode, please ping me or any of the guests on LinkedIn directly. And if you're job searching and you need help, please check out Teal, www.tealhq.com. Lots and lots of free tools and resources to help you land a job faster. All right, thanks so much for listening to Hiring Behind the Scenes, and we hope to catch you on the next one. Thank you.